Welcome to the Genealogy Happy Hour, a place where new family historians can learn to document their family histories and celebrate their new discoveries. I'm Amy. And I'm Penny. And we're here to help you discover your family tree from the beginning. Welcome to episode 59. Today, Penny and I will be um, speaking with an Annette Gendler. She is the author of How to Write Compelling Stories from Family History. Annette is, has been teaching memoir writing at Story Studio Chicago since 2006, and her popular workshop, Shaping Family History into Compelling Stories, is the basis for this book. But, Penny, before we start chatting with Annette, do we have wine this today? Of course we have wine. Um, uh, we have a Sauvignon Blanc by Kim Crawford, and it's one of the 12 bottles I brought with me to North Carolina, where I'm helping my daughter and her husband with their second baby this month, giving a little extra pair of hands because they have a very busy two-year-old. I felt like I needed a whole case of wine to come with me, if you can imagine. And congratulations on the new grandchild, <laughs> the new grandson. Yeah. Um, so this wine was really good, and it's described on the Kim Crawford wine site as a fresh, juicy wine with vibrant acidity and plenty of weight and length on the palate. Ripe tropical fruit, flavor with passion fruit, melon, and grapefruit. And it is a wine from New Zealand. Kim Crawford wines are from New Zealand. It's very good. Sounds delicious. I have not tried it yet, but I can't wait to. All right, so let's get right into um, our talk with Annette. This book is just chocked full of wonderful information for us on how to write stories from our family histories. Absolutely. Let's get to it. Well, Annette, welcome to our podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. Um, on your, in your book, How to Write Compelling Stories from Family History, on page one, what grabbed me is you wrote, this book is meant to help you tackle the often overwhelming project of doing something, in quotes, with your family history. And that is so true, <laughs> because most of us have all this family history, and we don't know how to share it with everyone. Right. And this book is really, it's a tool to help us write those family stories. And um, you discuss writing um, a memoir, which is different than an autobiography or a family history or a genealogy. So would you explain that what a memoir is and why you suggest writing in this genre? Yeah. Um, so memoir, simply put, is a true story of the past. And the emphasis should be true. And it should be on story. And I think that going into writing anything about the past, grasping the concept of writing a story is really the hardest part, the hardest hurdle, because unlike writing a family history where you're basically recording that this happened and then that happened, when you write a story, you need to focus on why, would I'm, why am I telling this story? Why would anyone even care about this? So it's not a chronology. It, it has to have a purpose, right? And usually that is something. So when we look at stories of the past, it's really about 
how did the past impact the present? I think that's where the greatest interest comes in from this generation and the people that you would want to share this with. And so when you're when when you're looking at your research and you're thinking about what what do I want to write about, look at points where where whatever happened in the past really made a difference in in who people are in the present, right? So for a lot of American families, for instance, that would be an immigration story. Um, we would not be who we are if our ancestors hadn't moved from the So um, the the other thing about memoir is that we need to we, we need to tell it in a way that uses storytelling, meaning it needs to be engaging, and that's what makes it engaging. So that is learning how to rather than tell something. So rather than talking about oh my grandmother told me this, and then she was talking from her great aunt, and they had this kind of conversation. Actually, learning to recreate the conversation, and that's. That's what I mean by writing and scene because that recreates the experience and lets the reader experience it. So it's almost thinking about how when you go to the theater, you're part of the action. Right? So you're not being told what happened, you're being shown what happened. So that's why memoir uh, done right is such an engaging way to share the past. I like that. You have something in your book that you say um, you don't want to be the boring aunt who goes on and on about so-and-so. And, -so. and yeah. I think that's very true. Yeah. 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 Because a lot of times um, as researchers, you know, we're excited about the quest and we're excited about all the stuff that we found out. And so we start going on and on about that because it's exciting to us, but why should it be exciting to someone else? And so I think that's where we sort of have to put on this filter and look at why does that actually matter to other people? And once we start looking through that lens, then I think we can pinpoint those topics that are actually interesting and worth working on and worth putting on. Just, so just like that going off of that point, um, sorry, Amy, I'm just jumping right over you. It's okay. <laughs> I want to know, like, what makes for family history interesting material, or what makes a story compelling? Right, so it's, um, it needs to have, as I said, there needs to be some, so in, in terms of family history, the easiest way to look at it is, is how was the current generation impacted by this, right? Um, there needs to be some kind of, in every story, there's, a, there's some kind of transformation. Something happens to the main character um, and that, that affects everything else. Like there's a point in change, there's a lesson in there. You don't want to obviously be heavy-handed in the lesson, but you have to ask yourself, like, why am I telling this story? Oh, I'm telling this story. And it can be very simple. It can be, you know, I always bake this pumpkin bread. Like, every every Thanksgiving, I bake pumpkin bread. Why? Because I have this recipe from my great-aunt, and she always made that. And then you can sort of give a little bit of a little biography or a story on how you got that recipe. But because that recipe is part of the family lore and everybody likes that pumpkin bread, you know, that's a nice sort of encapsulation of that great aunt. And so it's and that's, why, and that's what I'm trying to say. That's why it's compelling because I'm eating the pumpkin bread. So then I'm like, where does that come from? That's a family recipe. Oh, who was that? Right. And that's, that, that's what makes it interesting. 
just like in genealogical research, we, we want to have a focus of our research. We want to say, what's that question that the research is going to, uh, we, we want to answer to, and we're going to do the research to find that answer. You want to look at these, a story and say, why, you know, why is this a meaningful story? What does this mean? And then focus on that rather than telling, um, you know, the whole autobiography of your, your family. All right. So particularly if you had an, you know, if you're doing research and you, and you have an insight. So in, in my in my story, for instance, my family was um, expelled from their homeland after World War II. And, you know, as I was sort of, sort of just putting stuff together, I realized, wow, like that's the hinge in our family story. That's where, the, where my family, the family that I grew up in, became sort of homeless in that sense, because then my dad shipped off to the United States, married an American, so we became a cosmopolitan family. That would not have happened if that expulsion hadn't happened, right? So that was sort of a, a an inciting incident. That's another way to, to look at which stories are worth telling. What is an inciting incident that changed everything thereafter? Yeah. Um, in your book, you have um, a lot of prompts as you go through the chapters for people to um, just try a little bit of writing out, you know, just uh, little little tasks, which are which are wonderful. But what um, what tips do you have for people who just don't know where to start? Um, yeah, so my first tip there is start small. I think a lot of people, especially if they've done a lot of research, they have all this material, and so it's overwhelming, right? So you don't know where to start. So I think the, the most important thing is to think something is better than nothing, right? Like if I write something down about this great aunt with the pumpkin recipe, then something's there. You know, if I wrote about my choice in career or why I made that choice, you know, because someone pointed me in the right direction, like, that is something. So you don't, you know, don't go into the city, oh, I've got to write a book about my family. Just start with something that that is interesting to you, that is still meaningful in your in your in your family, and write something about that. You know, it, it can be three pages on a legal path, but then there is something there. And you will find that if you keep doing that, if you keep writing these little pieces, they don't have to be thematically connected or anything. But over time, A, you will have generated Something you will have done something with it, and then usually you will find that they that there is a topical connection between them. You know, because we tend to be fascinated by particular things, right? And so, in my case, it was the the whole like homeland loss of a home and the idea of what is a home. Um, and and then you have and then you have a, a a topic that will tie these, let's say, ten pieces together, and then you have a little book. Yeah, like that's how you do it. So um, another way to start, um, if you, if this sounds too abstract, is to take an object. You know, take something that you inherited from someone that is really meaningful to you. So it might be, you know, in my case, I have my grandmother's citrus press, a little glass thing that I always used to squeeze out lemon, right? And that, I love that thing. That thing's holy. <laughs> like my kids know, like if that thing ever shatters, if anybody ever drops that, there'll be hell to pay, right? And yeah. so you can you can write about just focus on that one object. 
And the most beautiful stories will come out of that focus because a student of mine, for instance, wrote about a tea cart that he has that belonged to his mother, belonged to her mother, but it actually turns out that it didn't. It, it came from another family and her mother, his mother was a foster child. And so it like, once he started focusing on that tea cart, the, the whole a good chunk of the family history was attached to that tea cart, but because he kept the story focused on the tea cart, it had the right kind of focus, right, to work as a story. So we, so it, it helped him sort of manage all the tangents that that show up on something. Interesting. Because that's a, that's a big challenge, right? When you're writing family history, that there's so much. Like, how do I, how do I, you know, not go off on all these tangents? And so if you have a focus on an object can really help to, you know to just tell the pertinent parts of the family history as it relates to that object. Excellent. I like that. I'm sitting here thinking of a thing that's in my house. That's Absolutely. Like, oh my no, I'm thinking about that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a circumspect approach. You know, there's, there's an end to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've just got a lot of ideas running through my head. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, now you talk about, and and rightly so. This is important. Um, when you're writing, do you talk about those family secrets, and how do you approach people who are or writing about people who may still be living, or um, thinking about them reading what you're writing? Um, how do we approach that? Okay, so there are two topics here. So mm -hmm. uh, first of all, writing about people who are still alive. Mm -hmm. um, I know people, that's like one of the most asked questions when, when anybody talks about writing a family. Um, so I think the first thing one should keep in mind is that most people like being written about because we all, we all want to be seen. We all want to be acknowledged. The, the greatest grief I ever got from my mother was when I, got a prize for a piece and she wasn't in it. Okay? And no matter how much I explained to her that it was a story about mortality and she's still alive and therefore she shouldn't be in there, I had lost that battle before it even began, right? So, so most people, just like, you know, when you get a newsletter from your from your child's school, like you always look like, right. so that's something to keep in mind. Most people like being written about and most people also appreciate even if you're writing about difficult things, they usually appreciate being portrayed accurately. So I think, and, and authentically. So I think there needs to be, you definitely need to take a lot of care in how you write about people, about someone. Um, but if you put the right amount of care in it, and also if you emphasize, listen, this is my view, you know, because obviously let's say you're writing about your mother, you, you write about your mother from your point of view as the daughter, you know, you don't have her point of view, you didn't live her life. And so I think that's, uh, I, I do think it's really important if people are still alive to share with them what you wrote about them once you are comfortable with it. I think that's a big caveat. You know, you really have to figure out what is my story about this, what's my viewpoint? Am I comfortable with everything that I put down? Because if you're not, I can I can guarantee you that will come back to haunt you. So you really have to be comfortable with what you put on paper. And if you are, share it with the person you wrote about. Most of the time, they'll appreciate it. And quite often, they will give you 
a little tidbit that you didn't know that'll enrich the story. They'll have a memory. Um, even if you share it with people that are like your sister or someone who's related, um, who knew that person, they can be great verifiers of facts and they can really sometimes add to the story. So those are all things to keep in mind. Um, when it comes to, to sharing uncomfortable things or even secrets, um, I would be careful. So I would, I would say my biggest um, rule for that is to really think about, is it worth sharing the secret? Is it really something that is helpful to the next generation? Does it help us understand who we are as a family? Does it explain certain behavioral patterns, et cetera? If it does, I think it's worth it. Because I do think if you share, if you share uncomfortable truths, then you risk damaging their relationship, and and that's got to be that's got to be worth. It. And I usually, you know, I think human relationships are more important than writing. Right. And so there are many. So to give an example, Frank McCourt didn't publish Angela's Ashes until his mother had passed away, right? Because right. he didn't want to hurt her, and he didn't. He knew he had to disclose certain uncomfortable things that, that really were shameful to her and, and, and he didn't want to do that during the time that she was alive. So, so that's another thing. Quite often when we deal with family history and, and secrets, we're dealing with things about people that are not alive anymore. And even then I would I would caution you to think about is it is it worth tarnishing someone's reputation? By revealing this, and if it is, go ahead. But if it's not, you know, there's there's probably a reason why this was kept a secret. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think in families, relationships are worth starting in the various ways that we do in families. I hope that answered. You're, you're looking pensive, so I hope that. No, I'm thinking you really do have to think about what's the reason behind me writing about that. What's, you know, it, because usually I would think that the secret would probably be the focus. It, it's the thing. It's the object um, of the the story. And so what's the purpose of sharing that Um like you said, you know, really analyzing your motivation for needing to share this or feeling like it's important to share. Yeah, and so, sometimes it could be something sensational, but if it has no relevance to the present, and if it really sort of, and if it's not something that's also very characteristic of that person or that really explains who they were, then mm -hmm. what's the point? You know, do you just, are you just so excited that you found something that nobody else knew? So is it your own sensational, sensationalistic right. side, right? And I think yeah. that's why we have to be yeah. a little careful. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Not, we're not the, you know, London's yellow press that just right. like blurt out everything <laughs> that they find. Yeah, yeah. I know my, uh, my late husband, he wrote a memoir um, as he was approaching um, his 50th birthday, and... Um, he gave it to me to read when it was complete, and I get, now we were married for 23 years, we were together for 25 years, I have two paragraphs in the whole memoir, <laughs> and at first I was like, hmm, what? 
but when I then I realized that that was not his marriage and his his family our children were not the focus of the memoir the memoir was about his childhood his parents relationship his parents divorce and how that impacted their family and his siblings yeah. and himself and so there there wasn't a purpose for me to be in there except for maybe those two paragraphs but exactly yeah. so we we tend to write about stuff that bothers us so that's a compliment to your marriage that you didn't write about it, right? <laughs> because, and on and it's actually much harder to write about joyful things. We tend to write about difficult things and we tend to write about trauma because those are the things that affected us in a huge way and that we struggle with, right? But if you have a happy marriage, it's actually very hard to write about. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So I have a, I have a uh, one of my writing teachers always said, joy is the last taboo. Because it's so hard to write about something yeah. joyful, something happy without being soppy. Yeah. 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 I can see that now that you mention it. I can see that. You have um, one of the things that you mention in your book, uh, one of the tools that I think correlates a lot with our genealogical research tactics is your parking lot tool. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to elaborate on I, the parking I did, lot? I did love that, the parking lot tool, because <laughs> we do get so attached in our writing to those phrases. I'm like, oh, that just, it, those two sentences just, they, they just look so good together. They read so well together, but... Like you say, maybe they don't need to be there. Yeah, actually, I, I'm, I'm, I'm editing a, a children's book manuscript that I'm working on, and I just started the parking lot <laughs> for that manuscript. So, so the parking lot is a, is a very simple tool that when you're editing uh, something that you wrote um, and you feel like you want to take something out, don't delete it, but you know, create another document, call it parking lot, followed by the title of your work in progress, and then just plop everything that you're cutting out of there. Don't delete it, cut and paste it into this parking lot. And that, A, that makes the editing process a lot easier, right? Because you're not deleting anything, you're not destroying any of the precious words that you fought so hard to put down. Um, and secondly, um, it sort of, you know, it, it keeps those things alive. They're, they're living somewhere else. And then two things can happen when you, eventually when you're done with your manuscript and you're happy with it, you give it to someone else to read. And then quite often they'll be like, what about this? And they're like, oh, that's something I took out. So then you're like, oh, I realize I do need to leave that back in. So then you can just put it back in if you have it. On the other hand, quite often you never look at the parking lot document again in terms of that piece because it works fine. However, you know, months down the line, you're writing something else, or you think, what else I should write about this? And then you're like, as you write, you go, written this before, you know, and then you then you look around, you know, like you put the search, you put whatever term in, in your word search. That's why I love like you know, that you can actually search for words, not just documents. And then sure enough, you find it, right? So, so it's reusable down in the future for something that has maybe another focus. So that's, it, it's a very simple tool and it really makes it a lot easier to, to trim something so that it gets A, the right focus, or B, you know, if you're writing for, um, if you're trying to submit it to a particular publication, you have a word count, you know, you have to look at every word and look at your detail. So that helps as well. 
Good point. It reminds me, I know we've used uh, a parking lot in a different sense um, in meetings before when you're on topic and somebody comes up with another topic that's not quite what you're talking about. You put that in the parking lot. But also for our research, when you're researching somebody, and you know how it's so hard to stay on track on that one person because, oh, there'll be like a marriage or something else that comes up that leads us down the the road. That should be then put in a parking lot, you know, like right. take that as just as a reminder of, I'll do this later, put it in the parking right. lot over here. I just love that. Right. that all works out. You, you have a, a certain filing system so that you can find those again, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Filing systems are always so important. <laughs> um, something else that you bring up in the book, which um, I really loved and something that Penny and I have encouraged um, on our podcast in the past is um, bringing the community in which um, your ancestor or the story that you are telling um, took place um, in. So, you know, we are always encouraging people to um Look at the in the United States, U.S. Um, research, county histories or city mm-hmm. histories, or putting them in context with what was going on around them during that period of time. And um, you even have, a, I think you have a, an example where you went on uh, what was a German eBay to look for a book um, that would help you put your ancestors in this particular um, um, community. Right. Right. So um, this goes back to, you know, writing a story versus writing a record in that it's by bringing in the community and by researching uh, the place that people live in, if you can travel there, it's even better. But, you know, since we're writing in the past, we have to look at this But if you research the community, and genealogists are obviously awesome at that, it helps you create recreate the place that, that these people operated in. So that's part of writing a story is that you need a certain, you know, a story needs to be take place in a certain place, in a certain time, with certain characters, right? It's, it's very defined. And so um, bringing in the place helps you create that, create that um, historical context. And so I, for instance, found it very helpful when I was writing about uh, 1938 uh, in my grandparents' hometown, which, which was part of what was annexed by Nazi Germany in, in the fall of 1938. It really helped me when I went back and I, I was actually able to read newspapers in 1938 because they give you the context without hindsight. Well, we just had we just uh, had the anniversary of Kristallnacht earlier this week, and I have a book of eyewitness accounts where people in 1939, 1940 reported on their experiences during Kristallnacht in Germany, and that book is stunning. Why? Not because I'm hearing about something I didn't know about, but because there's no hindsight. These people didn't know that things were going to get so much worse, and that they were in an odd sense, fortunate to at least make it out by the standard feet, right? Even though their entire livelihood was destroyed. But this was way before the final solution was even on the horizon. So so researching the particular historical context helps you recreate the time and place and, and, and create a 3D space that you're 
reader can experience. Yeah, I think genealogists in that sense are are really very well poised to do that because that's that's a big yeah. part of the research. Yeah. And that when you and, and this probably leads into that because that helps you get uh, a little more grounded on where your ancestor was from and maybe what was happening in that time period. Yeah. But what if you have an ancestor you really want to write about and you really just don't have a lot of information about them? Right. Where do you go? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you guys are probably better than I am in terms of digging out what can be dug out. You know, and history books are great great uh, fodder for that. Mind you, they usually are written from a, a point of hindsight. Um, but I think that if you want to write about someone that you don't know much about, and you want to, and you don't want to write historical fiction, I mean, that's, the, that's the other option. You know, you could write a story based on, and you could use the biographical miles, my, milestones that you know about, but then sort of fill in the rest with your own but if you don't want to do that, then you can, I would say, make the quest the story, you know, and write about why are you interested in writing about this person? What the, you know, give as much, tell about, tell as much as you can about that person and make the story about how you're trying to find out more when you hit the wall, you know, why you're interested in that story. And that, then your quest becomes the engine behind it, right? Because the reader is then on that quest with you. And so that creates the, the interest. Um, and I think there's a lot of universality in that because a lot of people run into that same problem that they're really interested in someone because of whatever the reason is and they can't, you know, they hit a brick wall at some point. And so I think that serves your intention of capturing that person as best you can with what you have. Um, but if you make it a quest, then at least there's some memorial to that person, you know, even if it's not what you wish it would be, because you can't really find out as much as you want. And perhaps someone uh, you're, in the future will see your story and pick up that research and maybe break through that wall. You might exactly. the story but if might inspire no marker, right? Like you need to yeah. leave a marker. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. What do we do when we have written these stories? Because as we're we've been talking here, you've just inspired me with some with some ideas on what I can do. And I'm thinking, you know, is it appropriate to put these small stories into a larger, like, you know, like each story is a chapter in a in a larger book? Or what are some ways that we can how can we publish these or you know put them together in a way that we can then share them with others yeah so there are so many ways to do that um if you want to go sort of the family genealogy route and you want to um you know how should i say populate some of your ancestors in your in your family tree with stories there's ancestry.com for instance has a beautiful functionality that, that lets you create books um, where you can um, share the family tree, but also share stories related to a particular ancestor along with photos. So I think, you know, if, if material is fairly sparse, um, but it still sort of embellishes and enriches that family tree, I think that's a great way to go. 
Um, and then you have sort of a, the organizing feature of the family tree. Um, you can do a family, you know, you can start a blog if you come from a larger family where there are lots of people who might be interested in this and who could even contribute. You could start a blog with those little stories and that's a nice way to not only share a story but also share photographs, really create something pretty that in our day and age will live on forever probably unless internet um, and then obviously there are lots of uh, there are lots of opportunities to publish. So um, I like to think about approaching publishing in the sense of you know the topic area that you're writing about. So if it's tied to a particular location, there are usually historical societies that are interested in stories related to a particular location. Um, if you're writing about um, let's say motherhood, you know, you could you could look at many, many publications that are trying to find uh, material for Mother's Day, right? Or you write about your Christmas tradition. So that's where I think the focus of writing about something and having these little stories, you will often find, you know, or the tea card I wrote about, you know, there, there might be a call for submissions on a family area. You could send that in. So there's there are lots of ways to, to get your work out there and to get something published. And I think the approach of writing shorter pieces really supports that because it's much easier to get um, you know, a story about a tea card published than it is to get a whole book about a family published. Right. And then last but not least, there's, there's self-publishing. So we can really, uh, and it's not that hard to do, and there's lots of material on the internet to learn how to self-publish a book through Amazon and it costs almost no money. So you could even do that if you wanted to make it available to, you know, in, in a paperback format to your family or even to a wider audience. There's, there's so many possibilities. And I think it's, it's great that we, that whatever we write, there will be a channel to get it out there if we want to do that. Excellent. Yes, that sounds great. Well, you have given us so many ideas. Really? And uh, oh my gosh, and, and, as you're talking, I'm, I'm just, things are just processing through Me my too. brain. Me too. Um, what I need to do. Um, just love it. Really enjoyed your book. Doing it, right? right, exactly. But I, I like how you say start small, just do something, maybe just write something every day, even if it's just a paragraph or two. Um, just get something down on paper. And I think uh, getting into that habit. Uh, is very helpful. Right. Yeah. Right. Just, you know, start small, start with a little goal. Don't overload yourself. Yeah. You overload yourself, or if it's overwhelming, you're not going to actually just do it. Be, yeah. Done. Walk away. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. Can't do it. But yeah, this is, this is great. This is great. And I know um, usually in December or, or January, one of our, one of those two podcasts, we come up with our, um, Resolutions, our new year. Our yes, resolutions. I'm like, what is that? What do we do? <laughs> I know. I think our we both we both have some resolution. We have, we have a resolution <laughs> coming so up. This this might be one for next year yep. is to mm -hmm. get some stuff written down. <laughs> Penny, are we going to have a link to um, Annette's book on our website? Yes, we will have a link on the website for sure. And Annette, how yeah. else can people uh, reach you or or 
Uh, do you have a website? You have a blog? Yes, so you can reach me at AnnetteGendler.com. And I even have a, I have a little advice column. So if people have questions, they can submit them to me or they can just email me. It's kind of the same thing. And um, you can contact me easily through the website. And I, I really, really, truly love hearing from readers. I love getting questions. They give me new material to write about. All right. Well, we will share both your um, both of those ways to contact you and your uh, website as well. So okay. our listeners can do that. Thank great. you so much again for participating in our podcast today. Yes, thank you for you. having me. It's been great. And, uh, and good luck with uh, your upcoming resolutions. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, thank you've, you. Ins- you've inspired you us. Know. You have. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, Penny, we are we will be reviewing our New Year's resolutions that we made in January on our next podcast. But I think we already know what our resolutions are going to be for 2021. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if that'll be the only one, or (laughs) it might be the only one. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I hope um, everyone has been inspired to start thinking about those stories and writing them down. So, and until next time, cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Please email us with any questions or comments at genealogyhappyhour at gmail.com. Visit our website, www.genealogyhappyhour.com, for additional resources, books, and wines. Don't forget to drink responsibly. And never drink around genealogical documents.